this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of liberty and prosperity and the highway to the north, this is Safety Works for Friday, a Thursday. Almost said Friday. It feels like a Friday. Thursday, February 16th, 2003. How's everybody doing out there? A lot going on out there. We're going to talk today about the ongoing uh, train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. Everywhere else it's Palestine. And recap some of the stuff that we talked about last night. And just when you thought all was safe, there is a train derailment in Michigan near Detroit. Hmm. So we have a big announcement to make. We have been, meaning uh, Safety Wars, has been invited to be a part of and be a guest on. Yours truly has been invited to be a guest, and I am accepting the invitation on. Coast to Coast AM. That is, yes, the Coast to Coast AM on uh, iHeart. It's on iHeart Radio, but I think it's owned by Cumulus. Uh, 600 radio stations, uh, 3 million weekly uh, listeners. I will be a guest on there Friday night talking about specifically this train derailment. And there are some ongoing questions here. And what, what our goal is, as always, and no, I gotta be I gotta make t-shirts or something like with this. Um, now don't be manipulated, be informed, be educated. And that's what part of our thing is, is when we're doing these major when these major things happen, right? Whether it's a natural disaster, a what quote unquote man-made disaster, or any other disaster, how uh, no we we need to be out there, no as safety professionals, become the expert in your workplace, in your community, in your group of friends on on these issues, and you're able to speak intelligently. Because I tell you what, one of the uh, things, and it was in a study published earlier that, this week that was reported on, I should say, earlier this week uh, on this show and a couple of other ones, that people are not really trusting safety professionals. That's, and this was a result of the article set of the pandemic and mismanagement and everything else that went along with it. I'm not going to say this. I've been doing this for 30 years People never trusted a lot of safety professionals out there because uh, this has been my experience in the environmental uh, and construction side of things uh, and even the disaster side of things. Safety professionals are often a, it's often a transient position. Someone wants to be a safety professional. They can't find it. Well, becomes a safety professional. They can't find a job, things of that nature. Uh, that's how I got into this was that I was looking for a job and one of my friends, uh, her, uh, boyfriend said, look, I have, uh, uh, an opening of my company. It's a safety company. I would have been doing a little bit of safety, uh, doing community right to know surveys, uh, things of that nature, air monitoring, uh, on hazardous waste sites. And he said, why don't you come over and do try safety out? Didn't know what to do. Didn't know anything about OSHA or anything else except from the 40-hour Haswaffer class. There were no outreach OSHA outreach courses at that time. That that was in its infancy. And they had them, but they were not the same type of you no know, highly regulated, highly regimented uh, 
program. And I, no, here I am 30 years later, still doing the same thing. And often what happens is it's people are in safety. They want to try it out and they start to ma manage people. And you realize there's a lot of pushback because here you have a manager that often does not have uh, the authority to hire, fire, or discipline anyone. You may be inexperienced, like I was, 22 years old. I'm supervising uh, safety on, uh, and I use that term very loosely, on people my own age, right? Oh, well, you, you've never done this. You don't know this, blah, blah, blah. And then you also have uh, people who have done something else, and maybe they were a trades person. They became safety professionals. We all have a, a different story on this. And now very little training, right? Maybe we had a scientific background. Maybe we had a technical background. Uh, but most of us did not have training in psychology and organizational behavior, how to run a business, anything like that. And what happens? We become the safety dictators. And we go out there and, hey, you know, this is what the rule is. And you go out there with a safety worth a rule book and you become a safety cop and everything else. And no, slowly we're getting away from that situation. And what happened? A lot of animosity occurs with the safety professionals against the safety professionals. And we brought it on a lot of times ourselves. And now going into the whole COVID situation, now the safety professionals in a lot of instances, we became because of the COVID protocols, high end, uh, high end, uh, uh, nannies, right? Make sure that mask is on. Make sure that mask is on. Make sure you stand six feet apart. Blah, 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 blah. That whole thing. Was it effective? Yes. I, I could say this much. A lot of it was probably very effective. And remember, it all depends on what you consider safety. Is safety zero, right? Zero accidents, zero incidents, zero injuries, zero anything. Or is safety, rather than the absence of all this stuff, and where you're able to put up capacity, resiliency, controls, safeguards, and everything else in place uh, to make something safe and ask some pretty darn good questions on how to do things and be interested in you know, the whole human and organizational performance thing, which we're going to be talking about later on a little bit. Uh, but what the idea is with all this stuff, we're trying to add value. What's our value? Our value is knowledge, training, motivation, hope, a lot of different things go into what we do here. And a lot of times, and uh, my wife had pointed this out on a couple of news stories on uh, WABC this morning uh, TV about how people in are just not trusting. And there was a study out recently. People are not trusting uh, 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 what they're hearing from the government and everything else. And it has to do with this. So now we're... Now let's transfer this into train, this train situation, the derailment. People are out there not believing uh, there or trusting the uh, emergency managers. And this has been going on for years. This is not a new thing by any measure or anything else. And we have to fight against that a little bit. That's part of what the safety war that we're always talking about. Learning leadership, learning how to manage people, learning how to recognize destructive behaviors, learning how to do all this stuff and identify it. It's a battle. Uh, you know, it's hard some days and you have to fight against, I end up having to fight against the damage that all some organizations have done against workers because the view on safety and the safety culture was this adversarial view. It was a, uh, a, a, a command and control type of situation and safety as a rule book rather than safety and a safety cop, rather than a safety colleague or a safety coach or what have you. We're asking some good questions. And, you know, how many people have been out on a construction job, for example, and this is the safety professional. I went through this uh, at, a, at a recent project I was on. This is a safety professional. Okay, well, what are your qualifications? Uh, well, how long have you been doing safety? Two years. How much work experience do you have? Three years. Including this in safety? Yeah. 
okay, so this is all you've done all your life is safety. What's your uh, credentials? What kind of training have you had? Anything like that? I've had a 30-hour outreach course. Okay. That's like a prerequisite for this project. What else do you have? Well, I've had a 30-hour course, and you're the competent person, um, 40 different 40 different areas or whatever it is. OSHA has 27, whatever. I forgot the number. Yes. Well, what do you tell me about fall protection? They can't tell you anything and all this other stuff. And this person is in charge of safety and causes a lot of animosity. Now the companies, because it's a non-production situation, they want to pay a lot of money. So these are the types of uh, safety professionals they get out there. And now you have animosity. It's not only construction. I see this in a lot of times general industry and everything else. Where a company, uh, I'm dealing with a company right now that uh, did not like a lot of what the safety professional was doing. So they ended up getting rid of the safety professional. Now they have nothing. Right? Well, when that safety professional was costing us money because it was making us do X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. And I can't handle them uh, in the whole, the whole nine yards. This translates into public safety. We are now, we see here with it, with uh, whether it's the COVID situation, the situation with the derailment, people, now, hey, we don't trust them. And when the news puts them on there, what do we do? All right, what do we do? Now this makes everyone's job a lot harder. So what's going on? Uh, we have a lot of OSHA news today. Um, let's get an update on the Ohio uh, train derailment uh, here. Where is the ar article? All right, Limbaugh had his stack of stuff. I have a screen of stuff. So here we have... Uh, now they've moved over from the uh, train derailment in Ohio to the train derailment in Detroit. Okay, and my computer is going haywire. I'm sorry for this, folks. I have a wireless mouse, and people wonder why I hate wireless technology, because it often goes haywire. Okay, hold on. I got to switch mice here. I have to go from the wireless one to the wired one. Okay. This is from CNN. The EPA chief pledges the whole train company accountable for over Ohio toxic train disasters as residents' frustrations grow. The head of the U.S. EPA traveled to East Palestine, Ohio on Thursday, said the agency plans to hold the train company Norfolk Southern accountable for its role in the derailment of a train carrying hazardous chemicals. We issued a notice of accountability to the company, and they've signed that, indicating that they will be responsible for the cleanup. Yeah, I, I think it's their stuff. That's probably, you know, a gimme on that one. But as this investigation continues, as new facts arise, let me just say and be very clear, I will use the full force and authority of this agency, and so will the federal government, to be sure the company is held accountable. The interview comes nearly two weeks after a train carrying toxic chemicals derailed in East Palestine, a town of under 5,000 people along the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. The derailment was followed by a days-long blaze and the ordered evacuation of residents until local and state officials declared the air and water safe enough. So we went through last night's program. We went through a lot of the uh, technical details, a lot of these sample results and things of that nature with that. And what does it come down to? They did the air sampling soon, right after the disaster. They did the water sampling soon, right after the disaster. They did the surface water sampling soon, right after the disaster. This was managed, based on what I'm seeing here from many news sources, pretty well. Um, this by all, uh, by all accounts here. And the choices that were made, and it's not that they made a bad choice from what I gather. They may had bad choices. Because this is, was extremely hazardous, extremely dangerous material. They cleaned up. 
the easy parts. And then when it got to the more difficult, remember, this is a train uh, tankers, right? Train tankers. They may have had to go into these things. Now you're putting human lives in direct risk. When no vinyl chloride and the other chemicals, I mean, yeah, carcinogens. Vinyl chloride is one of the few confirmed uh, human carcinogens here. But let's remember something with all of this stuff going on. Those are statistical deaths. They may or may not happen. All right. Now you're putting first responders' lives in danger. That is not not a statistical death, more or less. That is you're going to probably get someone hurt. It's very difficult to do this with the uh, with things, and you're going to put people in direct in the direct line of fire. And some people are like, "Well, they're firefighters. That's uh, you know that that's a." Well, guess what? You got to think with your head. Again, not manipulation. There's a lot of people out there with manipulation games. There are a lot of special interest groups that came out. Let's talk about the facts on what's going on out here. And uh, the EPA administrator coming out here, uh, does this sound, this statement sound uh, like it's going to, right, the investigation is going to be an easy one? Okay, let, let's do this. As this invest quote, but as this investigation continues and as new facts arise, let me just say and be clear: I will use the full enforcement authority of this agency, and so will the federal government, to make sure that this company is held accountable. Okay, now you're Norfolk Southern. Do you think that they're going to be that forthcoming with information after this? Hmm, I don't think so. Has this ever happened to you in your workplace? We're going to get down to the bottom of this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, blah, 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 blah. We're going to find who did uh, this and hold them responsible. And then it doesn't even have to be that overt. It could be the track record of, okay, the son of, you hate to be the son of a gun who gets that zero accident sign in the 500 days thing that you all of a sudden... You're, the, you're responsible for that accident. You'd hate to be that person here. So that's uh, what we're looking at here. I don't think, uh, I think they just compounded, when they make statements like this, I think they just compounded the difficulty in the investigation here at the call, right? And what, what were they trying to do? Keep the public calm. So uh, the interview from uh, uh, EPA Administrator Regan Right, comes nearly two weeks after a train carrying toxic materials derailed, right? A town of under 5,000 East Palestine. The derailment was followed by a days long blaze and the ordered evacuation of residents. And the local and state officials declared the air and water safe enough for people to return about five days after the wreck. State officials have repeatedly said water from the municipal system, which is pulled from five deep wells covered by solid steel casing, is safe to drink. However, the EPA encouraged residents to get water from private wells to get their water tested. Despite assurances, a chemical odor lingered for days afterwards, and officials estimated thousands of fish were killed by contamination washing down streams and rivers, fueling residents' concerns about water and uh, air safety. So, uh... Now, this town hall, and I watched some of this, this was uh, not, you know, was, people are pissed. A lot, Some people moved to a nice, quiet town, and then this happened, right? And here it, it says the train operator declined to attend uh, the meeting due to safety concerns. So I know with the BP oil spill, uh, anybody who was affiliated with that cleanup was told, do not wear any BP uh, uh, gear, right, Merck, into meaning hats, no shirts or anything like that into uh, outside of work because there were no people were pissed here. Now, where do I think this is going? If this follows uh, other similar disasters, uh, I think that somebody that a lot of these uh, areas there's going to be a move to condemn the land and take it uh, under eminent domain. And uh, sort of like what Love Canal did and everything else, because we're going to have ongoing uh, concerns here. And these people, now they have to report when they sell their house that it was in this area, this happened, it was impacted. And 
Now you have a problem. Now, I'm going to do this a little bit. It may sound like I'm going on a tangent, but I'm going to bring it right back here. I'm often asked when I'm giving the 40-hour Haswoffer course, which you can have me teach it. Uh, all you got to do is give me a call at 845-269-5772 or email me at jim at safetywords.com. Uh, you could go, uh, right? And uh, I was, I'm often asked, Jim, uh, what kind of, you have experience in all this stuff and pretty much every kind of cleanup out there. Between chemical, biological, and radiological, what kind of cleanup would you prefer to do? And my answer always is uh, nuclear or radiological. And they're like, wow, really? Why is that? I said, because we have a limited number of isotopes out there, things that are radioactive. They've been well studied because of the Cold War. And you have exposure guidelines for all of this stuff. And you can protect yourself. Not only a lot of them are, you know, like uranium has multiple hazards. It's also a dust. It's also radioactive. Uh, things of that nature, but you could protect yourself. We have, uh, no, we have radioactive stuff and what have you. Then I say, well, and the second one I'd rather do, and after COVID, I had to reevaluate this, is biological. Right? I'd rather do a biological cleanup. And it's like, why is that? And it's like, it's like this. A biological cleanup you know zero, right? Don't get exposed to any of it. You, could, you can't measure it so easy. Yeah, you can do swab samples, things of that nature, Not, but it's zero. And you can do decontamination. You can do this, you can do that. I'm pretty comfortable with that, all right? The problem here is chemical, a chemical cleanup, especially on surfaces. A lot of times you cannot, there, so for example, for the HUD guidelines, no uh, housing and urban development guidelines for lead. We had certain cleanup standards for lead in a, in a building, and they're on high contact areas like floors and windowsills is what they regulate. And you have a, a thing, right, where you have a thing where you're able to say, well, so many micrograms of lead in this area or in this area in this area is too high, and you're able to sample it. Okay, great. PCBs, the same thing, right? You have sampling for PCBs on the surfaces. You can do right, polychlorinated biphenyls, and you're able to do that. And some chemicals, you do that. For most chemicals, you do not have that. Now, reportedly, there were 400-plus homes that were evaluated, and they were evaluated as safe. And now let's swing around to our four questions that we talked about is it safe how uh no what chemicals are we talking about here what are you basing those safe levels on what is right question number, what are you basing those safe levels on question three, what chemicals are we talking about and number four did you actually sample for those this is one of those things where you're going to get hit up on question three well what are you basing that on most of these chemicals, there's not a uh, thing, well, you're not allowed to have over this amount of vinyl chloride in a house. And under this amount, it's safe. And over this amount, it's not safe. We, no, that doesn't exist for these chemicals. So what are we left with on all of this stuff? All right. We're left with uh, professional opinion oh, and everything else. Now, they're going to say, well, Jim, I thought you handled this. In a previous life, I handled a lot of indoor air quality and lead uh, abatement, things of that nature, and I have still have maintained a lot of those credentials, so I am credentialed to handle this. Uh, so that's what it is. I would not, right, we all don't have exposure limits for all the chemicals that you may encounter in the workplace or on a hazardous waste site. We don't have the PELs, the TLVs, the RELs, and all the other alphabet soup things. So now you have to use judgment on this stuff and you have to go to the uh get the aid of let's say a certified industrial hygienist someone like me well what's the appropriate thing to do and it's all opinion so now we have this issue in east Pal palestine uh in uh ohio yeah they went into houses they sampled did they find anything in there or not right are there right what's the safe level 
What's the level of detection? Since you're dealing with a human carcinogen, you want to get it down to as close to zero as possible. Is the level of detection low enough to get it down to zero? Is it what? No, is this safe or is this not? Combined with other chemicals in the workplace, in the home, uh, that were in these uh, 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 rail cars. Now, what's safe? What's not? It's a very difficult thing uh, to approach, and it's technically very difficult. So, I don't know. That's something uh, we're all going to be seeing how they handle there. If you know anybody out there, if anyone's listening who is in the direct impact area of uh, this, please let me know, and I'll give you the full hour if you want to vent because that's the kind of guy I am. And we're going to take a quick break here. I have to get something to drink here. This is Safety Wars. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's Safety Today. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. Okay, so I'm breezing through my emails just now, right? And uh, I'm, I'm, let's see if I can get my wife on the phone here. Hold on. Let's see how this is going to work. Because I got some really good news in my email. I hate to do this personal stuff. I'm going to do the personal stuff. Here. I'm calling up upstairs. Hold on. Hey, Deb, how you doing? It's me. I'm on the air. You're on the air. I have some, uh, I have an announcement here. All right. Oh, okay. What's the announcement? All right. I just got an email, right? And I never win this stuff. All right. Congratulations, Jim. You are a winner for the second quarter in the New York Boulder Super Bowl box pool. You have won a loge box for eight people. With an $80 food and beverage credit to be used during the Boulder's 2023 regular season. So, all right. And, yeah, so what do you think? I finally won something. Yay! Good job, hon. Yay, that's exciting. What's your thinking on that? Are you all excited? I am very excited. Okay, Okay, great. The only only catch is we can't use it on Father's Day or Fourth of July. That's okay. Okay. Great. Okay. Uh, Catch you later. Bye-bye. Yes, I actually do have uh, a special someone in my life. All right. Uh, Okay. So, do-do-do. Back to the show. So, uh, here we go. Just when you thought it was nice, we had a train derailment in... Van Buren Township outside of Detroit. Uh, this just came across here, right? What, emer- what did emergency defi- uh, responders find? Oh, one of the overturned rail cars contained agricultural products and the other cars were empty. No hazardous material was released into soil or waterways. One rail car contained liquid chlorine but was away from the overturned section and was included 
in the rail cars that were removed first. And again, Norfolk Southern is on site using equipment to remove and upright the rail cars. Now you're going to say, well, Jim, what's this? We got all these rail cars. Oh my God. There are all these derailments. A little bit of a factoid with you. There are three derailments a day in the United States. There's about 1,500 derailments a year, give or take. And it's been getting better. I, you know, that's an average, and it's been trending downward. So, for whatever reason, I'm trying to look into that. But these derailments happen all the time. So here's a question we get with this. And these derailments rarely end in a catastrophic situation like in East Palestine, right? A catastrophic uh, release to the environment. Okay, uh, so are we going to completely eliminate this stuff? Are we going down to zero on any of this stuff? Probably not. That's not a realistic expectation. But what could we do? We can add, it's all that thing. What is safety? We can add different things to this, different guards, safeguards, and everything else, right? So uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that one. Uh, NPR did a story today uh, about seven takeaways here on uh, on this. So let's see if we have it list, listed here. You know, I'm going to hold off on this until tomorrow here. Uh Okay, so one of the ongoing questions, and this is going to NPR, uh, there was reports that uh, the uh, uh, hazardous cargo notification requirements, and uh, this is what's in NPR's reporting, National Public Radio. Ohio's governor is urging Congress to change rules around the hazardous cargo notification requirements because most of the rail cars were carrying non-hazardous materials that's legally non-hazardous materials it should say because you all know what no hazardous means could is a loaded word and no everything is hazardous right and what no paracelsus the whole thing dose versus response right everything is hazardous depending on how much you get of it you get uh but Rail cars are carrying legally non-hazardous materials. I'm adding that word in there. Norfolk Southern was not subject to laws that would have compelled them to notify Ohio officials of the train's contents. On Tuesday, DeWine urged Congress, and that's governor, to consider changes to hazardous cargo notification requirements. So we're going to go and we're going to print this story out because that's the kind of guy I am. This requires some uh, further... Uh, uh, investigation here. All right. You're going to hear the printer in the background. Do, do, do. All right. We're going to go on to some OSHA news here. This is a news release from yesterday. A U.S. Department of Labor Council of Mexico in Denver renew alliance to promote uh, workers' rights and protections. Uh, this was an agreement from last week. The Department of uh, uh, OSHA and the Council of Mexico have renewed our two-year alliance to provide safety training and other resources to Mexican nationals working in Colorado in an effort to educate them on their rights and employers' responsibilities under the Occupational Safety and Health Act. The alliance uh, continues the joint commitment to protect the rights of Mexicans working in the U.S. through training, education, outreach, communication, and by promoting a national dialogue on workplace safety and health. All right, so that's good, I guess, because that is uh, 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 immigrants, not necessarily all from Mexico, from any region, but primarily from Latin America, South America, whatever we're calling it nowadays, are uh, all uh, are all uh, 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 no at at risk for a whole host of reasons, right? And one of them is cultural. They don't go against their employer, right? They don't go against authority. That's their culture. A lot of these uh, cultures down there, and that adds to any type of uh, uh, problem. 
that may arise. You're not going to add. I, I get this all the time on projects where you have people from different cultures. I'm, I'm not going to go and ask the boss for new various safety glasses. I, I'm going to be costing them money. So, you know, well, I'm not going to do this. I'm a, right. I don't want to, I, I don't want to rock the boat here. And they, they're here legally. They're here. They have immigration status. They have Twic cards. Uh, if they're in the oil industry, everything's good. All everything's as they say, copacetic. But they're still fighting against this stuff, and they're taken advantage of, uh, unfortunately. So this is actually a good thing where we're developing a partnership here. And uh, if I had my life to live over again, one of the things I would change is I would would have majored in Spanish. Uh, or at least had a minor in Spanish in college and learned Spanish well enough. Because I tell you what, uh, no, if you grew up in the 70s and 80s and 60s, really it started with Operation Wetback under the Eisenhower administration in the 50s, where there was a lot of uh, animosity towards people coming over the southern border. And that had snowballed into the 1980s with the English first movement. And that's still out there a little bit, but uh, hey, we have to, but right now, 2023, Latin, no, Spanish should, if we had to have a second, uh, an official language, I would absolutely have English and Spanish as the official languages here. Because, uh, no, you cannot go anywhere, no, whether you're going out in uh, public no, in the service industry, in business nowadays, without people speaking Spanish and you having to learn Spanish here. It's really an important skill to have with uh, things. I'm, I know a little bit. I'm learning. Uh, I've never really had the mind for languages, different languages, until recently. Uh, so, no, something out there where we, again, we're all about bringing people together and fighting that safety war and making our lives, our communities, our workplaces, our schools, everything that we do safer. That's what we're about here. People can bring people together, not separating people. Here we have, and I'm going to issue a disclaimer here, too, and, an, uh, and a disclosure. Everyone's innocent until proven guilty, and any of these fines or violations are often negotiated down and litigated away. So uh, here we have another story from Ohio. Uh, this is from Region 5. Federal investigation finds, oh, what's my uh, disclosure? My father owned a machine shop, and my brother John, uh, both rest in peace, John and dad, uh, Owned, uh, both worked in machine shops their entire life as tool and die makers and machinists. Uh, my father for Western Electric, then AT&T Lucent Technologies, and then uh, uh, AT&T Technologies, which became Lucent. And then uh, my brother John and various employees, employers. Uh, my brother John was an extreme, no, he was the big one that pushed on me continuing ed. Uh, because at, when he finished his apprenticeship program in uh, tool and die making, he uh, continued his education. And even though he had massive health problems for 15 years, he was very employable because he kept up with his continuing education here. Right. So both my father and brother were in this industry. I, uh, my father owned a machine uh, shop. Uh, I, so I do have some experience working in this area here. So, some of my commentary may reflect that, right? So in less than two years, three workers at a leading tool manufacturer uh, suffered injuries from unguarded machinery. The latest injury occurred in October of last year when a worker suffered a left thumb amputation while hand-feeding parts into a drill press using air-activated clamps. The worker had been out of the job for just three months. So here you go with the Rasmussen modes of work here, skills, rules, and knowledge. Where do you think that person likely was? Probably in the knowledge mode or rules mode, still learning the job, right? That's what, and it's important to identify those things when you're doing an accident investigation because that's going to give you a better idea of what the solution is with this, all right? So this is a rather inexperienced worker. The worker had been on the job for just three months 
In December 2020 and June 2022, two other workers performing uh, similar tasks suffered laceration injuries. So this might have been like a trend situation going on here. And we all know that trends often uh, do not exist in safety. We're often, like the, with these rail accidents, things are random. Often. Very rarely can you do a trend on something. And we don't have enough mu- info here to uh, with a trend. So... The uh, company was cited $164,742 for a uh, for uh, one willful violation of machine guarding standards and two serious and one other than serious violation. We're going to go and click on that. See what we do, right? So... And close, you will find citations or violations, blah, 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 at this thing. All right. We here we have the right to contest. Going on and scrolling on down. List the specific method that you're doing. Okay, here you go. Citation 1, item 1A. And remember, after March 30th, all of this changes. Type of violation, serious. 1910-147, uh, I believe that's lockout tagout. The employer did not conduct a periodic inspection of the energy control procedure at least annually to ensure that the procedure and the requirement of this standard were being followed. So 1910-147, general industry, lockout tagout. All right. So they did not do a regular update to their procedures. And remember, we're in February. I always tell people to review and notify and recertify their procedures every January. Right? That way, you are able to go and uh, uh, look things over. And usually things in the safety world are uh, slow in the winter. So you're able to do this. Right, citation one, item one B, serious violation. The first violation was $10,046, right? Second violation is a serious one. This was $0. Uh, it was corrected during the inspection. Uh, this is 1910-147. Again, another lockout tagout situation. Where lockout was used for energy control, the periodic inspection did not include a review between the inspector and each authorized employee of that employee's responsibilities under the energy control procedure. This is more or less a training uh, uh, a training uh, type of thing and paperwork type of thing. On or about November 18, 2022, the employer did not ensure uh, periodic inspections of energy control procedures, including a review of each authorized employee's responsibilities under the energy control procedures. Authorized employees are required to conduct service and maintenance activities on the equipment included, but not limited to, and it mentions the machines. I'm not going to mention them and requiring them to perform a lockout tagout. So this is more of a communication issue. They did not, they, the citation was $0. The next one, citation one item two type of, that was a uh, $14,000, right? This is 1910-219. This is for uh, equipment guarding. All exposed parts of a horizontal shaft, uh, of horizontal shafting seven feet or less from the floor or working platform, were not protected by ca- uh, stationary casings, enclosing shaft completely or by troughs, enclosing sides or tops. So this is a situation where you have things that less than seven foot that are rotating. Right, uh, I'm assuming that's what this is, is rotating, and it's not guarded. So if you have a, a machinery like this that is less than seven foot in height, because there's not a lot of seven foot tall people out there and above, it has to be guarded. So often what happens is uh, heaters, especially in the painting industry, you have what are called forced cure. Heat, heat right? Forced cure. They make it sound... Uh, 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 fancy here. So uh, I did that a couple weeks ago with my son's Pinewood Derby car where we did, I said, we were painting it the day we had to hand it in. And he said, dad, it's not going to be dry. I said, we're going to force cure it. Well, what did we do? We took my, we borrowed his sister's blow dryer and we blew, blew dried, blow dried the uh, paint and dry it out. So often in the painting industry, they'll get steam heaters that are meant to be mounted and they'll put them at ground level to force cure Things like in the wintertime, 
because the paint has to cure over a certain temperature. And often they have fans on them that are not guarded. Right, so what has to happen, you have to retrofit that with a guard. That's where this happens because it's not it's meant to be at seven foot or higher. And in this case, it's ground level. My wife says I'm too detail oriented here. And I say, yeah, this is for safety professionals and interested people. Hey, you know, again, you want to talk. I'm not, right. I'll, I'll share that after we're done with this story. Types of guarding. What are more methods? Of, right. This is a type of violation, willful, serious. And this was for $140,000. On, uh, right, types of guarding. One or more methods of machine guarding shall be provided to protect the operator and other employees in the machine area from hazards such as those created by point of operation, ingoing nip points, rotating parts, flying chips, and sparks. All right. So this is a drill press. So we know what a drill press is. And this also is a hazard on a lot of lathes, right? We have rotating parts that are not guarded. And on top of that, you have what are called turnings that are coming off of the uh, drill press, right? From the drill bit, right? Shards of metal. These are often mixed thin. This is a, no, a, this is a problem often. And for years was a problem to get rid of because these turnings are filled with oil, cutting oil. Back in the day, they used to use oil, like motor oil, a lot of times, which means you also had an exposure of a fume from the, uh, and uh, smoke from the uh, metals and from the uh, cu cutting oils, also another IH issue. My brother got a new chemical pneumonia from that, uh, which ended his career effectively uh, in, that, in that industry. And you would go and you would get... Uh, uh, you would have these turnings filled with oil. Now you have to send them out uh, for disposal. A lot of places did not accept this stuff for disposal here, like your normal scrap yards and things. So you would have to make special arrangements for this. And then they came out with different kinds of oils, and it's not my understanding, not a, as big of a deal. All right, so now you had the turnings coming off, and what, this was when people wore safety glasses. That was one of the few trades they wore safety glasses because of the turnings coming off. But are, turn, but are relying on an employee to wear safety glasses, is that an effective uh, guard here? No, you need a real guard and things of that nature. And there are four different uh, occasions that they had this. Uh, one, two, three. Yeah, four different occasions here with this. And they knew about it, and they willfully didn't correct it. So now, citation number three, item number one, other than serious, this is $0. Uh, this is 1910132. Uh, the employer does not assess the workplace to determine uh, if hazards are present or were likely to be present, which necessitated the use of PPE. So they had not conducted a certified PPE hazard assessment. This is under 1910-132. So again, this is what I tell people every January. So, you know, mark it in your calendar. So you don't well, pick a date, but I do it every January. Make sure you certify uh, that you've done this stuff. It could be a letter. It could be an email. It could be uh, a paper, printout, whatever. Something that says that you certified this. Uh, your workplace and what the PPE requirements were under 1910-134-D1 uh, or subparagraph D, and I'm sure there's a D2 that's applicable to this also. Again, that's how you mitigate these hazards with that. Now, if you're an employee and you're, uh, this might be a good question if you're dealing with uh, open-minded, uh, fully self-actualized managers this might be a good question. Hey, uh, what kind of PPE do I need for this? Uh, am I doing this right? Are you? And then if you're not getting trained on this stuff, now that's an issue. Now, some of the, and it's still, uh, I was talking to a uh, tool and die uh, owner of a tool and die shop recently on this. A lot of this machinery is BO. What is BO before OSHA? 
So we had a thing in this country called World War II. It was a world war. And we ramped up uh, production of a lot of machines. And there was a big, and then we had the Cold War. We had the Korean War, the Cold War, Vietnam, and big production in uh, tools, equipment, economy expanding, war, war resources, everything else. Well, a lot of the machinery that was World War II surplus ended up in machine shops all over the place. Before OSHA. OSHA is only from 1971, right? April 29th. I'm sorry, April 28th. All right? Uh, so a lot of this machinery does not have guards. And the companies did not go out and retrofit any of this equipment with guards a lot of times. And that machinery, a lot of it is still out there, right? Uh, from the information I have from inside the industry. Because... Uh, the the thing no the, why why replace it if it's working well? Now I want to go into some of our main what I want to talk about today on this. All right, so uh, as everybody here knows, I am a Star Trek fan, and last night we had, or I should say, three a.m. this morning, season three, episode one of Star Trek Picard. Uh, came on, and uh, no, I, I like the episode. Maybe I should have a review of the Star Trek episodes here. I don't know. Uh, my review, it was pretty good. That's my review, okay? Um, but at the end of it, at the end credits, they had something that came up, right? And it, I should get the graphic and put it on Facebook or Instagram. Blame no one was one of the readouts on one of the screens. I said, son of a gun, someone must be familiar with Hop, and I will talk. I know somebody um, the, who works on the set there. I'm going to ask if that had any special meaning here uh, with that. And because we do know, right, with Hop, right, human organizational performance, what do we uh, know? Blame. Right? Blame fixes nothing. Blame is not productive. Blame, the blame game, you're right, that's, it fixes nothing, right? The blame game does nothing. So today, I, so with this fresh in my mind, this morning I was doing a forklift training class, and I can do a forklift training class in your facility. Just give me a call at 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com. Same shameless commercial there. Human error is normal, right? Five principles, some of them break it out to seven. The five basic principles, human error is normal. We talked about human error here. With these train disasters, 60% of the time, they blame it on human error. Well, as you know, and I mentioned this before, when I am doing, when I am reviewing an accident investigation from an, uh, another person, and I see, well, it was human error, I say the two things. Read the book by Sidney Decker, The Field Guide to Understanding Human Error, number one. And number two, I don't ever want to see a report that says human error. It was human error, and we're going to blame the employee. It's totally uh, with that, right? Totally, I'm not totally not with it. I'm totally against it. Explain to me why there was human error with this. I know that there were human error. Yeah, no, no glove, no. There's human error. But why was there human error? It's normal. Why do we have a system set up that we know that we have human error? Why do we have a system set up that it's going to be catastrophic failure? What you want is an ability to fail safe, to have resiliency in a system to fail safely, to fail without any type of catastrophic release or anything like that. You want to have backups into the system. You want to have... Uh, capacity built into there, right? What's the second uh, thing? The blame fixes nothing, right? Play the blame game, right? doesn't work. Learning is vital. Most managers do not know what goes on in the field. We mentioned that during, the, uh, during this earlier part of this show where you're a safety manager, you get thrown into a thing 
and you have no experience with that often. Well, what do you need to do? You need to do learn. If there's an incident, what do you form? What Brett Sutton talks about. Learning teams, the practice of learning teams. He talks on this network about that. And there are different types of learning teams, right? You have an everyday learning team. You have a management of change learning team. And you have an after-incident learning team. And all of them are appropriate at different times. Another one. Context drives behavior. This old-fashioned work uh, is work as planned as work as completed, right? Now, what I use is the, uh, is the movie Miracle on the Hudson, right? Captain Sully, Sull, Captain Sully Sullenberger, right? So if you're, right, if you know, uh, right, you have to know what is going on at the time. You're faced with a set of choices and knowledge at the time of making a decision, and you end up deviating from the plan based on the set of choices and knowledge of the situation. Right, and this is how is incentivizing work, uh, the mindset, rushed work, all of this goes in there. You have to understand the context of the work, right? And in the movie, if you watch the movie, he was like. You know, this is what, what the movie was about. You had multiple things going in there, and you had context of the whole accident. And they tried to recreate that accident using flight simulators, and everybody failed. And they said, Captain Sullenberg, you're the one. You're the X factor here, right? You're the, because of you, this, didn't ha- this accident didn't happen. He said, no, it's not because of me. It's because of everything that went into this and the rest of the context. And you're not investigating this, right? Because you're not doing this in the context here when you're doing the flight simulators. You have to understand everything that's going on, the big picture. Don't rush. This is what the problem is with the one-pagers, what I call them, the one-page safety uh, incident reports. All right? And the last thing is how you respond to failure matters. Right? And I have a quote here from Todd Conklin that's a little bit long. But well, I'm not going to save it. But basically, if you go out, as what I said earlier, we're going to go out there and we're going to get that northern southern, not southern, blah, blah, blah. we're going to get that rail company. We're going to make them pay. Well, guess what? If you're going to go out there with that attitude, do you? what happens? They get lawyered up. They got lawyered up to begin with. But now they have reason to be lawyered up. You think I'm going to give this person and this thing rope to hang me? Are we going to be able to get down to the bottom of this situation and will we have an attitude like this? Right? So now I'm not accusing anybody of anything here, but now are, are you going to be that uh, willing to do that? Because now you may be a criminal investigation and we do know if it's a criminal investigation, even under OSHA, you do have fifth amendment protections against, uh, against uh, self-incrimination. So, basically, you have the right to remain silent with this here. Uh, so, you know, going back, it all goes back to hop. It all matters out here. Now, I get a com- a comments, right? I make human and organizational performance the basic concepts all part of almost every safety training I do, right? I go into this stuff every time. And people are like, well, hey, the people are not intelligent enough or sophisticated enough to understand this stuff. Why are you doing it? We still want the hard hat, safety glasses, and steel toe or safety toe shoes, blah, blah, blah. And you're hearing all this stuff. Many years ago, I decided I'm not going to do that type of safety meeting. And I remember it. It was August of 2004. I said, I ain't doing this crap anymore. We're going to talk more about this stuff. And we're going to talk about leadership and everything else. And guess what happened? The organization pushed back majorly on everything on that that I was in. They didn't want to hear, well, we want the hard hat safety glasses stuff. So we can have compliance, command and control. Right, and I said, well, "How many times do I have to do this with these people? They don't know that to do this. Well, why?" So what I ended up doing was I include this in there because, in the hopes that maybe one or two people. Again, you're not doing it for everybody. One or two people that are leaders can pass this along. So I'll see you tomorrow for Safety Wars. Uh, this is Jim Pozel. And wrong button here. Hi, hi, hi. 
The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.